Take just a moment and think of a time when something was annoying you because someone wasn't doing what you thought they should do. It might be last time you were in an airport, might have been waiting in line to pick up coffee, or even waiting for someone to show up and they didn't, or they didn't show up with what they promised that they would. It happens every single day. In this episode of My Quest for the Best, you're going to hear Clay Scroggins, author of How to Lead When You're Not in Charge, describe specific steps that you can take to not only feel better, but to take action to actually get better results. I'm so glad you're here. Hi, this is Bill Ringel, host of My Quest for the Best, where ambitious small business leaders discover strategies and tactics to unlock their growth potential. Joining me today is Reverend Clay Scrogans. Clay Scrogans is the lead pastor at North Point Community Church, providing visionary and directional leadership for all of the Afreda, Georgia's church staff and congregation. He oversees a staff of 110 people and has 12,000 people each week in his parish. He's the author of How to Lead When You're Not in Charge, his first book, and he lives in Alfreda, Georgia with his wife, Jenny, and their five children. Welcome, Clay. Thanks, Bill. Uh, so excited about having this conversation. Thank you for um, using your spotlight to shine a light on what's happening in my world. I'm genuinely grateful. Thanks. It is my pleasure. And leadership and influence are two topics that are really, really important for everyone in small businesses, large businesses, nonprofits and in religious organizations. So Absolutely. if you think about it if you think about it now, was there an example growing up of someone who influenced you or a, an opportunity you had where you recognized the importance of leadership and influence? You know, the the idea of influence probably I learned it the hard way. I think growing up, um, I always thought what most people thought, which is that the people in charge are the ones that are leading, that leadership and authority go hand in hand. So when I think back on my childhood, I think about uh, coaches, teachers, principals, bus drivers, even you know, even my parents. Uh, I just assumed, oh, those are the ones leading because they're the ones with the title or the position or they, they have the authority. So I think for me, it was my part of my professional journey it has been unpacking some of those myths about leadership that you have to be in charge in order to lead. Do you remember an instance or a particular age when you suddenly started saying, you know, people have these titles, but they may not be really leading. I was 21. I, uh, I studied uh, engineering in college. I went to Georgia Tech. Georgia Institute of Technology, which is right in the middle of Atlanta, and I was I, I needed and uh, I had found out about an internship at the state capitol, which at the time I had an interest in political science and government, and so I got this job in the governor's office, and I was working in his policy group uh, as an intern. My responsibility as an intern, uh, as is the case with most interns, was to uh, make copies to get coffee for uh, everybody that I worked with. But the best part of the job is that my desk sat right outside of the conference room where a lot of the decisions were made. And I'll never forget this one particular day. Uh, the governor was actually in the meeting, and uh, they were I think they were discussing education policy at the time. And I remember the tension. You could hear the, the tension in the room because the voices were getting louder. And I remember hearing... Uh, someone banging the table, and then above all of the other voices, I heard, 
I heard someone yell, listen to me. I am the governor of the state of Georgia. And I remember sitting there as a 21-year-old thinking, uh-oh, something is broken. Because at the time, whatever was happening was not going as he planned. And he was having to wave his authority around in order to get people to do what he wanted them to do. And that's the danger of the myth that when you believe that you have to be in charge in order to lead, that even when you are in charge and you try to leverage that authority to try to get people to move, it will work in the short term, but it does not work long term. Uh, At the time, I had never been to a leadership conference. I had never read a leadership book. I don't even think I could have defined leadership, but I just instinctively, I inherently knew that leadership, that the essence of it is influence. It's the ability to to inspire people to move uh, in order to accomplish something that they may not even realize that they want to accomplish. And when you've got to pull out authority in order to get people to move, it's a great sign that something is broken. Well, that's a really important point, Clay. I like your definition of leadership, the ability to inspire someone to move to accomplish something they may not even understand that they need to do. And in order to accomplish that, that's not something that we're born with. Leadership, would you say leadership is a skill that can be learned? I mean, that, that certainly is the great debate in leadership is can you learn it or are you born with it? And I, I think the answer is yes. I mean, I think certainly uh, because leadership is influenced that there some people are just born with more instinctual traits that give them influence. They just are naturally more persuasive. They have the ability to naturally win people, to gain people's favor. And there are certainly people that have it more than others, but absolutely, I think that it's something you can grow in, it's something you can get better in, and one of the most important things for me has been learning, understanding what influence really is, and understanding uh, even the simple question of what am I doing today, what are my behaviors doing today that are gaining me influence, and what am I doing today that's costing me influence. Even understanding influence as a commodity uh, allows me to think about Think about it in terms of gaining it and losing it. And so I, I think when you think about it in those terms, certainly uh, you can become a better leader. You can have more influence today. You can, you can cultivate it today, and you can leverage it to be able to move a room, to be able to get people to move toward an idea that you have or maybe an idea that is best for them, or maybe it's even something that, um, as we just talked about, something they want to accomplish that they may not even realize they want to accomplish. So. Yeah, I think certainly people are born with it, and certainly people can grow in it. And how do you differentiate between influence and leadership? I would say they're one and the same. I would say influence is leadership. I would say the essence of leadership is influence. That influence is simply the ability to um, inspire people, to motivate people. That if, if you're if you're going on a walk and no one's following you, you're not really leading. Uh, that ultimately leadership is the ability to to sway people. Um, we live in a world. It talks a lot about swag, but I think greater than having swag is the ability to have sway, the ability to uh, move people toward an idea. Um, that, 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 to me, is the essence of leadership, uh, is influence. And where does someone who's listening to this and wants to improve their leadership and influence skills, where is it an important place to start so that it becomes a building block or a foundation for more advanced skills that come afterwards? Well, I um, in, in this book that I've just recently released called uh, How to Leave You're Not in Charge, I unpack four big behaviors 
Um, here are four things that I'm trying to do to um, cultivate more influence so that I can lead beyond my position or beyond the authority that I have. And the first behavior that I introduce in the book is just the simple idea of leading myself, that the greatest responsibility I have to, to lead is the one that I have the most control over, and that's the responsibility to lead myself. But the, the easiest way to lead yourself is to simply ask others exactly where you are. I think a lot of people have a vision for their future. They have an idea of where they want to go. But until you know exactly where you are right now, you can't get to where you want to be. So, so much of leading yourself depends on how aware you are of exactly where you are, not not your latitude and your longitude, not your exactly your, your location in the world, but what are you good at? What are, what are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? What are your blind spots? And the easiest way to find those out is to ask somebody um, a simple question, like what is it like to be on the other side of me? If you were me, how would you do things differently? Um, they don't all have to rhyme, certainly, Bill, but in those two cases, they, they happen to rhyme. Floating, floating around, orbiting around all of our world is information that if we had, it would make us more aware of exactly where you are. And until you know exactly where you are, you can't get to where you want to be. So I, a simple illustration of this, uh, I, I remember when I was 15 years old, I, I grew up in uh, a little town in West Alabama, and we had a shopping mall that was the best thing happening in our town. When I was 15, I remember we got a Lids. You know the store Lids, Bill? They sell hats. Right, they're like caps, yeah. Exactly. When you're a teenager, um, that's a real happening store. And when we got, when we, when we got, when our mall uh, got the news that it was getting the Lids, I was so excited because I thought, oh my goodness, this is the biggest thing that's happening in our town. So I remember, uh, I remember heading to the mall, getting dropped off. And the first thing you do is you go find that directory that has the map on it that shows you where the stores are. And then you look down the list in alphabetical order, and you find the L, and you find lids. Okay, A7, then you find it on the map. Where is A7? Okay, you find it there. And what's the next piece of information you got to have in order to get to A7? you, you got to find that that says you are here. Yeah, because you can't get to where you want to be until you know exactly where you are. And so much of leading yourself, which ultimately is what cultivates influence, is is learning to lead yourself, not to not having to depend on someone else to lead you, that you are not at the mercy of your boss, good boss or a bad boss. And, and you start off with saying, I want to get to lead, so you had a vision as to where you wanted to go, and then you found out where you were. And that's a very simple concept, but I feel like it really is the, it's the best thing that any one of us can do today to, to learn how to lead ourselves better, is to be more aware of exactly where I am. So maybe that's asking some people. I know when I was uh, in my previous, when I moved into the role that I'm in now, one of the first things that I did was I asked the people that I had previously worked with, about 50 people on the team, had somebody execute a 360 on me where they mm -hmm. asked three questions. Hey, what, what did he do that inspired you? What did he do that bothered you? And what does he not know about himself? And those three simple questions provided a roadmap for exactly how I needed to develop, what areas I needed to develop in and actually gave a lot of great input and advice on what I could do to grow in those areas. So those simple, that simple practice of being ruthlessly curious about exactly where you are will unlock such potential in how you need to grow, what you can do in order to grow. Now, that third question is pretty interesting because what does that actually address? What, is he, what was the way that you phrased it? What does he not know? 
Yeah, what does he not know about himself? I mean, another way to ask that would be, what are, what are his blind spots? That highlight for people who have never asked that question. Why is that important to ask? Yeah, it's important to ask because there, there are things about yourself that everyone else knows and you probably know, but you have no clue that they are as aware as they actually are. That's what I found is that, for example, one of the themes that came back was people said, well, he's not always super prepared for meetings. Now, I know that about myself, that my temptation is to wing it. My temptation is to uh, rest on my ability to think off my feet, the ability to uh, be spontaneous, uh, and, and to be able to leverage those skills in order to get by. And what I, I knew that I wasn't always prepared for meetings, but I was hoping that no one else knew. And what they ended up telling me was, no, we all know when you are or aren't prepared for meetings, your ability to think quick on your feet is not necessarily working in regards to covering your lack of preparation. And it wasn't new to me, uh, but it was, um, I think it was, it's always so difficult to hear that other people know the very thing that you're trying to keep hidden from them. But that's the way we are. We're all intuitive humans who we can sense things and pick up on things and we have that amazing ability to be able to understand things about each other that we don't even realize we understand. And so just being aware that other people probably know, um, it, it gives me a little bit more courage to be able to ask and to be able to um, be courageously and ruthlessly curious about those things in my life that I think I'm, that may, unfortunately maybe even I think are skills, but other people might actually see is, no, those are things that you do that are costing you influence. Mm-hmm. And then when you look at it in terms of gaining or losing influence, you become more motivated to want to accept that feedback, don't you? Absolutely. And I think, you know, I think being aware that everything you're doing today is either adding to the influence you have or even detracting from the influence you have. And uh, influence ultimately is what's going to give you that ability to be able to um, move people forward or move people toward the idea that you see or to be able to sell somebody something um, and so I think you're absolutely right that when you see it as a commodity like that um, it, it brings such great uh, importance and urgency to everything that you do today so you contrast for me the difference between someone taking responsibility and asking these questions and perhaps there's a, a manager or a business owner listening to this and saying you know what I can't wait to tell this guy, what he doesn't know. <laughs> how, yeah. How do they work? How would you compare those? Solicited feedback is always greater than unsolicited feedback. Uh, it's easier to process. Uh, it's easier for the other person to give it. And it's ultimately more profitable when it's solicited. So um, I think trying to create a culture, which that's what we've tried to do. is. I, so I manage, I've got about 100 people, a little over 100 people on our team here. And I'm trying to create a culture where people are, uh, where people are soliciting that feedback because every boss knows what it's like to try to tiptoe around the person and try to figure out how am I going to, how am I going to say this without hurting his feelings or how am I going to give her this feedback without just destroying her? Uh, we know what that feels like to walk on eggshells. And so um, trying to create a culture where people are soliciting that feedback, pushing feedback is always more difficult than pulling feedback. And if you can create a culture in your organization where people are accustomed to pulling feedback, um, it will only help your organization and it will only help the individuals in your organization grow. That feedback 
it really does rest at that intersection of I want to grow and I want to be accepted. Uh, and all of us want to grow. I mean, I think if you ask, you know, all of your listeners, if you were to poll your listeners today, Bill, and say, how many of you want to grow? Everyone does. That's why they listen to this podcast. But the, the next question is, well, are you asking your boss or your peers or even your team, what are the things that you're doing today that are uh, adding to your influence or what are you doing today that's, that's detracting from your influence? Uh, most would say, yeah, I, I want to ask because I want to grow, but I, I'm not going to ask because I'm afraid that the feedback is going to hurt uh, because feedback is received most often as rejection. We want to be accepted. We want people to like us. We want to be taken seriously. We want, want to be people seen as people who have value. But too often that feedback feels like rejection, and so we retreat, and it, we, we end up uh, scaring ourselves from asking those difficult, challenging questions. But if we would push ourselves through that intersection and go, you know what, my desire to grow is going to overcome my need to be accepted. That I, when, I can, when I can choose to want to grow more than, uh, more than even I want to be accepted, um, that's where the juicy nuggets of feedback are. So certainly there are loads of best practices for managers on how they can deliver feedback, but the best kind of organizations are the organizations that create a culture where people are pulling feedback, and it's common for people to ask for it instead of just feeling like they've got to tiptoe around the other person to give it. So you stepped into this role a couple of years ago, two and a half years ago, I think. Um, I bet that when you came, not all of the hundred and are they all staff or there's some volunteers as well? No, those are all full-time staff, yep. Okay, so you have additional volunteers who might report to some of the staff and be on committees and so on. Yep. I bet you not 100% of the people are eager for feedback. I bet you not 100% are all as open to growing, and especially when you first arrived. Can you break down an example so that we can follow you along, kind of watch over your shoulder as you encounter someone who might have been resistant, who might have needed this sort of conversation and feedback, and how you either encouraged them to start asking of the people where it mattered most, or you took it in a different direction that allowed them to make some sort of course correction because you valued them being part of the team. And if they didn't make a course correction, maybe it, it wouldn't work out where they'd be able to remain part of the team. I really do think it's a case-by-case basis. So I think an example definitely fits because what we have to do as, as leaders, as managers, whether we're in charge or not, I mean, we've got to do this with our – we've got to think about this in regards to our bosses, our peers, uh, the people that work for us, is what is the incentive that is causing them to work what, what, is, what is motivating them? And sometimes that's difficult to find, particularly with people that don't seem very motivated. But I've got people that work with me that are motivated by promotion. I've got people that work with me that are motivated by uh, the respect of their peers. I've got people that work with me that are motivated by influence. They want to be able to influence more. They want to grow what they're doing. Some of them are motivated by growth. And so trying to figure out what is it that they're motivated by. Now, I think in hierarchical organizations, we think most commonly that people are motivated by promotion, that everybody's on a quest for not just the best, as is your podcast, Bill, but as a quest to rise to the top. But that's not always true. Um, some people are quite content doing what they're doing right now. They're glad to be at the position they're in. For instance, in our organization, we have a, 
we have a high school program that we do to help high school students. And so I've got a guy named Darren who is our high school director, and Darren uh, leads a team of about eight people. And on any given Sunday, he'll have about a thousand high school students that will um, attend the uh, the program that he leads on Sundays. And I had quickly I had to learn with Darren that Darren is not motivated by promotion. He doesn't want the next job. He's quite content in the job that he's in right now. If you were to ask him, hey, so what are you going to do when you're done with high school ministry? He would say, I'm going to retire because that's this, I'm doing what I want to do, which is fantastic. That's great. I and mean, that's the kind of person that you want in your organization. However, it took me a little bit of effort to try to figure out, okay, well, then what motivates him? What is his incentive that if he doesn't learn to cultivate more influence, it will eventually cost him, and he won't be able to accomplish what it is he wants to accomplish? So for Darren, I have learned that he is most motivated by growth. He wants to have a greater impact on more high school students. If you told him, hey, there's a job and you could impact 1,000 high school students or there's a job and you could impact 2,000 high school students and the one where you impact 2,000 actually pays less, he would choose the latter because that's the kind of person he is. That's why he's doing what he's doing. He didn't do it to get rich. He's doing it because he wants to have influence. He wants to make a difference in a student's life. And so learning that allowed me to communicate more clearly with him as to what he was doing that was costing him influence or gaining him influence because I could let him know, hey, I know how much you want to grow. I know how much you want to impact more students. And let me just tell you that if you don't fix this, it will cost you in regards to your ability to recruit more volunteers and to train more volunteers and to be able to mobilize more volunteers to reach more students. So learning that incentive-based management style has, has really helped me in figuring out how to help people gain influence that may not be motivated by the same thing. So everyone listening to this, give a quick uh, review in your mind and think to yourself, do you understand what's motivating or incentivizing the person you're looking to influence? Because the biggest mistake we make, and, and I'm pretty sure Clay would agree with me here, is that we project and we say everyone's motivated by the same issues, topics, incentives as I am. And that way will limit your influence. You'll only be able to influence a small fraction of the people then if you widen your scope of being able to consider what might be influencing the individuals with whom you're looking to interact and have influence over. So tell me, you have four principles. One is leading yourself. Break down the next three for us, if you would, please. Sure. The second one is to choose positivity, that one of the most dangerous, most difficult things about not being in charge is that you're being handed decisions on a regular basis that you didn't get to choose. You didn't get to weigh in on them, but you're being asked to buy in on them. And so choosing to be positive about what you're working on uh, will ultimately cultivate influence for you. It will give you a greater opportunity to try to influence the people around you, your boss, your peers, the people that work for you. The third big behavior is to think critically that every one of us uh, has got to figure out how to bring value to what we're working on. How can we make a difference in what we're working on? We've got to be able to make something better. That's one of our organizational values is to make it better. Whatever you're working on today, make it better than it was when you got it, and that's a, uh, that's a principle that only happens when you're able to think critically. Um, thinking critically is a skill. Uh, choosing positivity is a posture that you carry yourself in, but thinking critically is a skill. The great thing about skills is that uh, you can get better in them, but in order to get better at a skill, what do you have to do? Well, you have to practice, and so if you're not a natural critical thinker, then you can get better at it, but you've got to carve out space in your calendar to be able to think 
spend time literally thinking about how can I bring value to what I'm working on today? How can I make this next meeting better? How can I make this uh, next opportunity that I have? How can I make a difference with uh, what I've been given today? And then the last one is to reject passivity. Maybe the, the, the most dangerous enemy to not being in charge is passivity because when you're not the decision maker, when you're being handed the decision, it's very easy to feel out of control. And when we feel out of control, most naturally we just step back in passivity and go, well, uh, that's not my department, that's not my world, that's not my team, I just work on it, I'm not in charge of it, and because of that, I am just going to be passive and we'll see how this goes. And that ultimately doesn't help anyone. That even if you feel like, well, I'm going to work on something and it might actually be wasted effort or energy because we might end up undoing it or redoing it, convincing yourself that there is no wasted effort, there is no wasted energy, that everything ultimately will be used again. If at the very least, what you just did was learning a skill or putting in effort towards a 10,000-hour principle that is what ultimately defines greatness. So learning to reject the passivity that, uh, that not being in charge brings is such a crucial decision that every, every one of us has got to make uh, if we're going to cultivate more influence even when we're not in charge. So those are the four big behaviors. So to lead me, to choose positivity, to think critically, and to reject passivity. I think rejecting passivity is a very interesting concept. I think there are multiple levels of it. It seems to me that if you reject passivity, just by getting into action, you're going to produce results, and you can learn from and get feedback on those results. You can learn from and gain or lose influence by those results but you're at least generating something that you can then get course correction on. Because if you don't take any action, if you just sit there and don't take action, don't make calls, don't reach out to people, then you're not going to generate results and you can't get feedback. Beyond that, I, I think that's a really interesting idea of having people simply make a choice. Like, we, like you had said earlier, the thinking critically is a skill to be practiced. Choosing positivity is a posture you come from, and rejecting passivity is simply a choice. It's a decision to reject being passive and become an active actor within your environment. How do you encourage that, recognize, and reward that in order to make it part of your culture, Clyde? When people uh, intern here for the summer, we have a lot of summer interns, college students that will come in off the, uh, out of the school year and come work for the summer. One of the first things that we ask them, our, our student, the ones that work in student ministry, is we have a we have a couple of closets that collect props and game equipment uh, throughout the year. And one of the first things we ask interns to do is to clean out this closet. It's kind of a rite of passage. It's kind of a ritual. <laughs> we make it fun. You could call it hazing, Bill, but I would not um, condone that. And as an intern, everyone uh, who's worked there has a cleaning out the closet story. <laughs> absolutely. I've cleaned out the closet. Um, so a couple of years ago, we had an intern that started during the summer, and uh, we hadn't issued the order yet to go clean out the closet. And we walked by one day, and this intern had had already started cleaning out the closet. And I remember thinking, um, what an incredible attribute of someone that they knew this was what was going to be asked, and they decided they were going to go ahead and, as you put it, to take action and to pick up something and to do it. I think the greatest fear that we have when we're not in charge is we think, well, 
what if I clean it out wrong? What if I put it in the wrong order? What if I throw away stuff that doesn't need to be throw away or thrown away? Or what if I don't throw away stuff that needs to be thrown away? What, what if I do it incorrectly? But the truth is, even if someone comes along and course corrects or changes the direction, uh, it's easier to steer a racehorse, as we all know, than it is to carry a racehorse. So I would much rather someone on our team take action and go ahead and start, go ahead and move. You remember the way the GPS system used to work. There was a message that said the map will appear when the car is in motion, that so often you've got to put the car in motion in order to see where to go anyway. And so action actually carves out uh, the pathway for us. So resisting it, rejecting it, deciding the worst thing I could do is to be passive. Even if the boss comes back and changes it, I at least want to pick up something and say, hey, is anybody working on this? Is anybody solving this? Uh, and there's loads of ways. In, in, in this chapter that I wrote, I, I give uh, a, a number of questions that you can ask yourself to try to figure out, well, what should I be picking up? And the easiest one is to listen to your team meetings. What are the things that continue to come up? What are the problems that continue to get talked about but never get fixed? That's where you should start. Uh, the next place to start is that whatever is making your boss anxious, a part of our role when we're not in charge is to manage the anxiety of our boss. Uh, whatever your boss is worried about, that's what you ought to be working on. And that's an easy place to start. And if you can just answer those two questions and figure out what's your closet that you can clean out, it's the to me, it's the easiest way to uh, to reject passivity. You have the opportunity to influence thousands of people and tens of thousands, if you really think about it, each week, because everyone you influence will certainly take that influence and the positivity that's brought through it and influence certainly their family, their coworkers, other people they know from other associations and so on. What do you realize and wish that people knew that's often misunderstood? We talked about the myths of leadership and influence earlier. If you wish there was, if you had the opportunity to clear, clarify one idea or myth around influence and leadership, what would you want people to know? Well, I mean, obviously the, the big idea of the book, I, I think is a huge, it was a huge concept in my own life just to be able to, just the realization that I do not have to wait in order to start leading, that I can lead, I can lead today. Even if my sphere is small, even if what I am responsible for or what I am in charge of is small, I don't have to be in charge in order to take charge. And there are things that I can take charge of today. So the simple concept is not, not being a victim to an org chart but realizing that I've got an opportunity to lead something today. If the only thing I'm leading is myself, even that's something that I can lead well today. Uh, there's a quote that I love by a guy named Tom Watson, former CEO of IBM uh, in the mid-20th century. Uh, Tom Watson said, nothing so conclusively proves your ability to lead others as what you do on a day-to-day -day basis to lead yourself. But the greatest way for you to prove that you have what it takes to lead more than you're currently leading is to be as diligent as possible in leading yourself, that that's the greatest opportunity that you have to lead today. And I think if I would have learned that sooner, um, I think I would imagine, uh, I think it would have kept me from feeling like that I am bumping into some of these principles the, the hard way, um, as opposed to leveraging them uh, to help me gain more influence. And in writing the book, did you have a particular practice or routine that allowed you to be productive you know, while maintaining a lot of responsibilities 
and you know, spending time, quality time with your family, I'm sure. What helped you get the book done? Because so many people, more people start books than finish books. I mean, for me, Bill, it was the simple practice of waking up earlier. That that habit has been a habit that has probably been the most productive habit in my own life. I would call it a, for in, in my life, it's been a keystone habit. Um, it really, it's been it's been that habit that unlocked the direct benefit of being able to accomplish more. It's actually allowed me to be more organized, to be more intentional, to be more strategic in the way I'm using my time. But um, that's probably the habit or behavior that has helped me the most. It's true. I mean, if you're able to get into the office or even just start working on a project before the phone starts ringing, before people start coming in for meetings, it's your time to control and make choices with purely what you have intended in mind. Do you have a method, do you have a tool that you find useful that helps you stay on track and organized, whether it's post-it notes, low-tech, or something high-tech like, you know, an online website that reminds you or using your, your phone to set reminders? Do you, have, do you have any tricks or tips that might be useful to people listening? I use Evernote uh, every day. That's probably the most helpful tool of organization in my life. Tell me one particular way that you find it easy, maybe by you know, the way that you categorize things or when you think to use it, or what you'd miss most about it if it wasn't in your, your, on your computer. Well, the ability to share files is super helpful. So the ability, the ability to work on projects at the same time, which there, there are loads of other uh, ways to do that. But, I mean, the most helpful thing is, um, for me, I, I'm constantly having to prepare sermons. And so I've always got to be looking for ways to inspire people, motivate people, stories of ways that people's lives have been changed uh, because of what they've experienced in their relationship with God. And so keeping a file of ideas, um, that simple um, practice, that's one of the benefits of Evernote is that it's always, it's on all of my devices and it's always with me. And um, that's been super helpful. Sure beats post-it notes, huh? Yeah. <laughs> in some ways, yes. Clay, I'll say you've been extremely generous today in sharing so many ideas about uh, your journey of how to become a better leader, as well as becoming an author of how to lead when you're not in charge. You've, you've shared ideas about, you know, growing up and learning the hard way from people who are supposed to be in charge about the fact that you don't have to be in charge in order to be an effective leader. And when you had your summer internship and realizing that when you're falling back on your authority and title, you've lost a lot of influence and need to pull that out as kind of a trump card. You've talked about great ideas in terms of leadership in that it has to be something that's both nurturing what you're born with as well as developing skills in that area. The four ideas that are contained within your book, How to Lead When You're Not in Charge, knowing the importance and the critical foundation of leading yourself, of choosing positivity, of learning the skill of applying critical thinking without being critical and rejecting passivity really serves people to think about it. And as you you pointed out, the importance of wanting to grow more than caring about whether you're accepted or wrong leads you to be able to be more open to the kind of feedback that occurs. I love the, the example you shared about the map will appear when the car is in motion because people will get feedback and from the action that they take. And if you don't take action, it's really hard to get feedback and make course corrections from that. I'll think of you also as I'm up early in the mornings, as you're being productive as well. It's great to be able to choose times like that that allow you to have clear thinking and, and get um, action accomplished on your most important priorities. So 
Reverend Clay Scorgans, thank you so much for joining me on my quest for the best. Let's wrap up if you share one nugget of wisdom and then let us know how to keep in touch with you. Yeah, I think, you know, the last thing I would just say is no matter who you are, no matter where you are, if, if today feels difficult or you feel like you're in a situation that's hard, just know that the resistance that you feel today is actually what builds strength. It's the way, uh, it's the way working out works is that the, the weights feel heavy. Uh, because it's difficult, and that difficulty is what actually builds strength. And so, um, don't allow your um, don't allow your difficulty to be discouragement. But if you can just choose to believe that what you're working on today really is, even if it feels difficult, is going to uh, make you better, and it's going to help you in the long run. I have found that to be really um, inspiring. I am on uh, Instagram and Twitter at Clay Scroggins, and uh, I have a website ClayScroggins.com. We have a find your influencer score. It's a free assessment that we offer to help people and try to determine how much influence they're having today, which is a great discussion for teams, for organizations, and would love for anybody to be able to take that assessment at ClayScroggins.com. And, Bill, this has been a joy. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a treat from my end as well. Thank you, Clay. on my quest for the best i'd love it if you'd go to itunes look up my quest for the best and subscribe i want to make sure you don't miss the very next episode we have coming up we've got a lineup of terrific guests and i know that if you enjoyed this one you'll like what you find coming up soon also feel free to give it a comment a like because we work hard to put these interviews together and i appreciate making sure that we're reaching you and serving you in the, the best way possible i look forward to reading your comments and catch you on the next interview thanks so much